before I kick off, I do want to say thank you to Rhonda for Christmas camouflaging the pedestal. This is, this is church camouflage right here. It's almost enough for me to hide behind. I <laughs> uh, appreciate everything. Uh, Rhonda, we always appreciate your decorations. Uh, it looks way better than anything I would come up with, trust me. Well, welcome. My name is Pastor Bill. I want to welcome you to a standalone sermon series. This is a one-week special. Uh, ironically, it's called What's Next? Because we're in that weird time where the old year is about to wrap up and the new year is about to start. And many of us have an opportunity to stop and reflect. What was the past year like? What will the next one be like? And as I learned earlier, three of us have New Year's resolutions that we intend to carry forward. <laughs> four for us. Jimmy had his hands full. So four, four. <laughs> so there's this awkward, sometimes awkward pause where we wonder, okay, what have we accomplished and where are we headed? Because there's often a lot of things that weigh us down from our past and a lot of uncertainty about what lies ahead. But today I'm going to talk a little bit about how we handle that as Christians because it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us and the God that we serve and the community that we build, all of these things. And now that's not meant to put pressure on you. It's meant to say that God thinks this is too important just to let it happen by accident. So he's got great things planned for us, I'm convinced of that. But it all starts with mistakes. That's right, mistakes. How many people here have made a mistake? Today. Right, <laughs> right? yeah, me too, right? So I have made some colossal mistakes, and I want to tell you about one of the mistakes that I made uh, back in the day. Whoops, got to turn this on before it works. It's Never trust me with technology. Back in the day, I was still a student in Air Force pilot training, and I was near the end of training. So near the end of training, you already know what your next assignment's going to be. They figured that out by this point. You're just kind of going through the last little bit to get there, to graduate, to get your wings. My assignment was going to be right back in the same squadron I was training in. I was going to be an instructor pilot for this, these same people that I was flying with now. So it was a weird feeling. I'm not one of them yet. And I know they're looking at me because, like, this guy's about to come in our squadron. What's he worth? How, can, he, can he hold his own? And so I was trying super hard to, you know, to do the best I could to impress everybody. And so there's this thing called four-ship formation. You've seen it if you've ever seen the Thunderbirds, right? Right. Uh, so formation, to, just to put us all in, in perspective, pilot training is one year long. Formation is introduced about four months before graduation, four or five months. And foreship is introduced in the last month of training. So it's new to me, right? Four months ago, I, I never flew foreship. I never flew formation, period. And now all of a sudden, we're in a foreship. And I'm solo, which means there's no instructor pilot sitting with me. There's one other solo in the formation. There's two instructor pilots with, with their students, and that's the foreship. And so we get out to the area. And there's a huge thundercloud where we were supposed to go. So I, I was two at this time. You trade places, right? Everybody gets to practice, right? So I hear lead coordinating for a different area. Great, we don't have to mess with that storm. This is good news, right? So we go to a different area, and then we start doing our thing. And eventually, it's my turn to lead. <sighs> Pressure's on. I know they're looking at me. I know they're going, can this guy handle it? What's he going to do? So we go through. I was, I was doing pretty good. I was kind of impressed with myself which was the setup for the downfall. But <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. I got it all going. Well, it was time to do this thing called a rejoin. So you're supposed to peel off and, and you set a turn and everybody joins on you, right? So I saw this massive thunderstorm sitting over here, which is the way I wanted to go. I'm like, 
no problem, improvise, adapt, overcome. We'll go the other way. So I call the turn the other way. I get about 20 degrees through my turn, and I hear a voice on the radio. Duke's have an eye lead, snap to heading 320. Well, that, that's the guy in my formation telling me to go the other way. It's like, a, okay, that's not good because I'm lead. So who's lead here? Well, who's lead here is the guy who's right, and I was wrong. So what had happened was, as we're maneuvering in our little practice box, right, the thunderstorm was in the other area, but the funny thing about thunderstorms, they move, right? So in my mind, this was my box to work in, and the thunderstorm was here. But as we began to work, the thunderstorm moved here, and I was trying to take them here. The only problem with here was this was the main recovery corridor for all the aircraft that were out flying. Would have been a disaster, right? Four ship formation trying to go right through the departure or recovery corridor. Probably an accident waiting to happen. So uh, after we got that all sorted, we all got back on the ground. Uh, there's this thing called the debrief. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen the movies about, you know, like Top Gun, what they all debrief. Uh, let me just say, they don't hold anything back. Right? <laughs> uh, and, and for good reason, right? Because you, you want to make sure that you get your mistakes corrected and you don't get people killed. That, that, that literally can be life or death. So they are not uh, necessarily kind. They are not vague. They are very direct and blunt. And they let me have it for like 20 minutes straight. I was like, I got it, I got it, all right? I know, okay, I'm not gonna do that again. And, and then we got through the, the whole rest of the, the briefing and people kind of go their way. Well, there was one guy that remained behind. He was a crusty old Lieutenant Colonel, Vietnam era, uh, call sign was Tex. That's how Texas this guy was. I mean, he walked bow-legged you know, <laughs> out to the plane. You know. and, and Tex was one of my early instructor pilots. When I first went to that aircraft, he was one of the first guys to fly with me. And, and Tex just had this country wisdom. And he just sat there and he was, he was looking at me. I'm like, what, you, you come in for second helpings? What, what, you just lay into me now? He goes, you know, you can learn a lot about people by their mistakes, but he said it really Texas-like, you know. <laughs> and he said, but you know what you can learn more about? What they do with those mistakes. So what are you going to do with this mistake? It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that again. He goes, that's a good start. Because he, he gave me a, a five-minute, very simple lesson on what it means to get past a mistake, to be resilient. He says, it doesn't matter if the mistake is made. It's made. It's done. You can't undo it. What happens next, though, is do you dwell on that or do you move forward? Because in this business, you've got to move forward and you've got to do it like that because it is life and death. And so don't worry about the mistake. He, he said it uh, more country than this, but this is basically what he told me. Forget the mistake. Just remember the lesson. What are you going to do with that next time? And if you make a mistake in the future, don't dwell on it. Move on. But move on intelligently. That day I learned a lot about what mistakes can do for us and not do for us, or do to us might be the better way to say it. I don't know how many of you out there right now are thinking about 2023 and the mistakes that we've made or the things that have gone wrong or have not been our way, but I can tell you this, that dwelling on that is probably not going to help much, especially not going into the new year, because here's what I learned. The way that we think about our past can actually determine our future. Let me say that one more time. The way that we think about our past can actually determine our future. And if we're not careful, it won't be a good one. So that's what I want to talk about today. But I also want to ask you, how, how is your experience in this? How do you look at things that have not gone so well in the past? 
How do you look at mistakes? Are they opportunities to learn? Are they things that weigh you down? Are they things that define you? Like once you make that mistake, that's just who you are, and you will be that forever. And I'm here today to tell you that's not true. That's not true at all. And God has something to say about that. Where do we begin? We begin with uh, one of the greatest don't worry about your mistakes, look forward aspects in the Bible. That comes from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is talking to a people who are held captive by the Babylonians. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the people were doing their thing. The Babylonians came, took them all away, and took them to their kingdom, trying to indoctrinate them. They left the, the middlings behind. They took the high-quality people because they want to indoctrinate them and then bring them back so they can bring that culture with them. And they had no real discernible hope. I mean, everything that they knew was gone. The glory of Israel as a kingdom was no more. They were literally overrun. So that's the setting that we find ourselves in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. And at that time, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. And he tells Isaiah, you need to tell these people who are currently in captivity that I've got something for them. And so here's where we pick up the story today. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is, these are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Basically, he's saying, forget about the former things. Now, in context where Isaiah is talking about this, he's talking to a people in captivity, which begs the question, why are they in captivity? Well, uh, that was kind of God's punishment for not following the things that he had asked them to do. Now, you may be thinking, well, God's kind of mean, you know, just to wipe out, you know, to take captivity and, and take everything away from them. Well, let, let's recap a little farther than back. And and one of the reasons I always say read the Bible in circles is if you read a passage like this and you don't know the context or it doesn't quite make sense, read a little bit before it, a little bit after it, a little more before it, a little more after it. You're reading the Bible in circles, but you're putting context around what's happening. And here's the biggest context of all. God asked them to be his chosen people. They didn't quite get it. God wrote it down for them. Ten Commandments. They still didn't get it. God sent prophets to say, hey, you aren't getting it. This is what I want you to do. And they listened. Not. I was just seeing if you're still with me. No, they didn't listen at all. They, they totally disregarded what the prophets were telling them. And so God said, if then, you know, if you don't do this, then this will happen. Bad things will happen. And they still disregarded the words of God. And so they were taken into captivity. And now, if you're a parent, you're familiar with this. I told you not to do that. There are consequences. And when you enforce those consequences, your children just love you, don't they? They say, oh, you're right. I'm so wrong. What was I thinking? Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad, for putting me right back on track. Said no kid ever, right? <laughs> so no, that's not what happens. Uh, he, he tells them all this, but this is the moment of turning when God says, okay, you have been in captivity, but here's the thing. I'm going to do a new thing. The rules that you've been trying to live by, the willpower you've been trying to survive by, I am making a new way. I am doing a new thing. He's talking about the coming of Christ. And he can even make a way in the wilderness where it's not clear. He can direct a path. And better yet, he can make streams in the desert 
in the wasteland. The stream means life. The stream means where there was nothing, where there was waste, there is now the potential for life, and it is coming. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? And the problem is we can't see it because we're looking with human eyes. We can't see what is being done spiritually all the time. It's a deeper work. I think we can sense that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can see where God's at work in us, but we don't always see it with our eyes. So we can be very discouraged by that. But why is it then, if those people who had the prophets and all the Ten Commandments and saw the miracles of God and still couldn't follow God, they get this message of hope, and they, they Jesus Christ has come in this, this new way of doing things. is going to make streams where there was nothing. Now, we, fast forward, have the rest of the story. We know how that all goes. We know Jesus Christ, he goes to the cross, he dies, he is buried, he's raised on the third day, he takes the power of sin and death away. So here's my question for today. Why is it then that we are still living in spiritual exile? Why is it that we walk this fine line between material abundance but spiritual poverty? Why is it that we don't avail ourselves to everything that God has for us? And if I'm being honest, why is it that I don't listen? Anybody with me? Yeah, yeah, you get it, you get it. So what I want us to be able to do is be able to listen and follow into this new year and not walk the line but jump full into spiritual abundance. That's what God promises. That's why Jesus came. It should be no mystery to us. So why is it that we dwell in the past in in modern times? Well, this could apply to Israelites being released from Babylonian captivity, but I hope it also applies to our lives. Maybe you find yourself in one of these reasons why we kind of dwell on the past and we don't give ourselves fully over to God. And the first one is anger or bitterness. If you think about the people who are in Babylonian captivity, especially if you're kind of the creme de la creme of society of Israel, you had a pretty good life, pretty good kingdom. That all got taken away. And now what? Now all the stuff that you worked for is gone, or so you think. Everything that you hoped in just vaporized. It's easy to be angry. But just like I said earlier, that sometimes the, the discipline, the correction It comes whether we want it or not. Sometimes it's just a good hard check, a gut check. Sometimes it's something more drastic than that. But God disciplines only those he loves. Actually, he disciplines everybody. but, But God does discipline those he loves, just like a parent disciplines a child. But for what purpose? To what end? Is it because God's mean? Is God just a bitter guy? Angry all the time? No, it's because he's trying to train us in the way that we should go. That way that he's going to make in the wilderness, he wants us to walk on that so we're not lost, so we're not hurt, so we're not injured, so we're not alone. He's trying to put us back on track, in other words. And so it shouldn't be any surprise to us when that happens. Uh, The other harder part about this is the bitterness, though, for me, because usually I'm bitter when somebody else does something that knocks me off track. See, and here's the thing, you may have done nothing wrong, and yet you're suffering consequences for somebody's sin. So we're interconnected. We can't ever just sin. It's not just my sin, it's our sin. We live in a community, we're interconnected. 
And so sometimes because people have free choice, they will make bad decisions. And sometimes those bad decisions will impact us. That's just the way it is. I hate to break that to you. That's the way it is. Now, if you want to know why do we have free choice, let's do a sermon series sometime. There's a lot there, but this is the way it is. But let me ask you, is the bitterness or the anger going to make you better or bitter? Uh, I think you know, if you've ever experienced this, where it's going to lead. We've got to be willing to let go. So there are some things that we do want to let go of. We want to let go of the bitterness and anger so that we can receive what God has for us. The second thing that might be holding us back is guilt. Guilt is, I know I shouldn't have done that, and I feel bad about that. Some people make a hobby of you know, like being a full-time guilt person. Like, this is what I do. I just feel guilty all the time. I don't know why. But guilt can actually be a good thing. Now think about this for a second, and bear with me. Guilt is that warning indicator, like when you get the check engine light. Hey, something's not right. If you feel guilty, it's probably because you're going against the wiring that God has for you. It's like, hey, not everything's good here. Okay, so the question then becomes, what do you do with the guilt? Do you just let it go? How many people have had a check engine light that you just let go? Yeah. <laughs> How many people are willing to admit it? <laughs> yeah, it, it sometimes doesn't end well, right? So that's guilt is a warning indicator that says, okay, look, if you're feeling bad, analyze why that is. And if you're going against God, there's this thing he invented called forgiveness. It's wonderful. It makes that check engine light go away. It gives you a clean slate, like an oil change. And you're good to go again and again and again. So don't let guilt weigh you down. Let it be the warning indicator it's meant to be. Let it help you get back on track or to figure out what it is that needs fixing. Maybe even you need to take it to the mechanic, whether that's your, your best friend, your accountability partner, a pastor, whoever that is. But don't just leave the check engine light, which leads us to the next one, which is shame. Shame is guilt which has a shelf life that has expired. Right, so it, it, guilt has a shelf life. It's only good for so long before it turns to shame. And what's the difference in, in my mind? I think I heard Brene Brown say this once, but guilt is I did. Shame is I am. Let me say that again. Guilt means I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. This is just who I am. This is my identity now. But shame has no place either. It's the devil's greatest weapon, by the way. The devil loves it when you just ignore the check engine light. Oh, don't pay attention to that. It, did he really say that your engine would die? <laughs> no, surely not. Because he wants it to devolve into shame. Because once shame gets a hold and this is your identity, now it doesn't matter to you anymore. This is just who you are. You're a bad person. You're a sinner. You're not redeemable. You're not even lovable. That's shame. And that's a lie. I'm here to tell you. See, the, the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sins. God knows your sins, but he calls you by name. Let that sink in for just a minute. That's what God does for us. He knows everything that you've done. So don't pretend like you're just going to ignore this and, and not, like I didn't do that thing, or, or don't not check the engine light and assume that everything's going to be okay. God already knows. 
One of the things that always amazes me about confession is, you know, confess your sins to God. Oh, I don't want him to think I'm a bad guy. <laughs> God already knows. <laughs> I hope that's not a spoiler alert for anybody. <laughs> it's like, who are you confessing to? Like, if God knows, what's the point of confession? So that you know that it needs to be fixed. He already knows. So don't let shame get you in its grip, because once it's got you, it's really difficult to get out for us. But it's super easy when we turn to God and say, will you forgive me? Because what's the answer going to be? I'll get back to you. Uh, let me think about it. No, he gave a son on a cross. That's how important he thinks this is. He, of course the answer is going to be yes. So why do we wait? Don't let shame get its grip on you. The last thing that might be in your way is ourselves. I, I kind of like calling the shots. I kind of like the way I live. I kind of don't like somebody else telling me what I need to do. And God has a pesky way of doing that, doesn't he? I kind of like doing my own thing. Thank you very much. And so self becomes an issue. When I put myself on the throne, then who's God? God's not God anymore. Now I am, and I'm calling the shots. And I, I think you know that I am capable of making colossal mistakes. Thank God I'm not God. So we have to pick up that cross to die daily. We have to give over the reins, as painful as that might sound. Because following God is a pretty straightforward thing, but it is not easy. Following God is the biggest challenge you'll probably ever have in your life, and yet the greatest reward that you'll ever have. I say this uh, as one of you. Not, I have not arrived. I do, I do this thing called life every day. I still make colossal mistakes. Some of you may have experienced them. I'm sorry. And there will be more. But hey, we're going to keep going on. So the two recommendations that I would have for you, which is actually just one into two parts. What do you do with this? Well, there's this God who has promised through the prophet Isaiah years ago that he is making a path out of the wilderness. No matter how convoluted, no matter how dim, no matter how unclear it is, he is making a way. And he invites us to follow it. So the first thing I would recommend is that we find the way. And let me cut to the chase for you. It's super easy. What's the way? Softball across the plate. Jesus. Home run, right? So Jesus, he says it himself. I'm not making this up. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? It's super easy to find the way. It's super hard to follow it but it's super easy to find. So maybe we make one of our New Year's resolutions, oh, I'm sorry, three of us make, four of us, make a New Year's resolution to find the way, to find Jesus anew this year. And the rest of you can join us if you like. But maybe that's the first thing that we need to do is, is to seek Jesus this year. Now, how do you do that? Well, you're started, you got a great start already. I encourage you to come back and do more of this. I encourage you to take it a step farther. I encourage you to do this individually. I encourage you to do this communally, meaning in a smaller group, because most of you aren't going to ask questions in the middle of the sermon. I know who you are if you do. <laughs> most of you aren't going to ask questions. Most of you aren't going to get down to where the rubber meets the road for your life and your faith. That's what a community group will do for you. And if you're looking for one of those, I've got plenty of suggestions. And if we have more people than we have groups, guess what? We'll make more. We're just like Doritos. 
There's probably a copyright on that. I don't know. So first is find the way. It's Jesus. Spoiler alert. It's Jesus. What happens in 2024 if we put all our efforts into finding Jesus anew? And then here's maybe even the harder part is follow the way. I told you earlier I'm not always a fan of somebody else calling my shots, but I can tell you the more trips around the sun that I have and I can look back, the shots that I've called versus the shots that God has called, care to guess the ratio of success versus not success? <laughs> yeah, uh, never, right? So even when I thought I was calling shots and it worked out, I realized God had his hand in that somewhere. You can only see that afterwards, or at least I can. Maybe you have the gift of foresight, and if you do, praise God and please talk to me. But for me, it's always after sight. I can look back and see where God was at work. I can look back and see what God has done in my life. It makes me more and more grateful, sure. But it's not any easier to follow sometimes. Sometimes God's going to ask us to go in a place that looks dangerous. Now, we don't like that. We like our comfort zone, so we tend to back off. Sometimes God's going to ask us to do things that we don't want to do. I know now from more trips around the sun that even if I don't want to do it, if I do it, it's going to be amazing. And maybe I won't see that right away, but God knows, and he knows what he's doing. And so I trust him in that moment. So find the way. Follow the way. That also helps with accountability. When you're in these community groups, when we follow the way, sometimes we get a little distracted because there are a million distractions out there. All of you have one in your hand or your phone or your, or your or phone. Your phone is a distraction. In your hand or in your pocket or in your purse. There's a million ways to get distracted. The world is good at that. You need people around you that can help you eliminate those distractions. I encourage you to jump into that in 2024. The disciples said it best when they said, well, where else? You know, Jesus is asking them, all these people are starting to fall away. My teaching is getting a little too difficult. Do you also want to leave? Do you want to go some other way, in other words? And the disciples say it best. To whom else would we go? Who else has the words of life? Answer, no one. No one else has the words of life. And here's the good news. No matter how lost we are, no matter how confused we are, no matter how unclear the future seems, we can always turn back, and God is always waiting. But my question is, why do we wait so long that our lives become a spiritual wasteland? What if we were proactive? What if we sought him out? What if we recognize that there's this God who long ago and still says, I am making a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a path in the wilderness. I'm making streams in the desert. Streams of life giving water. The stream of living water. Who wants to find the way with me in 2024? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, <clears throat> the truth, and the life. <clears throat> As we come to you this morning, we recognize that we don't always see that way clearly. <clears throat> we certainly don't always follow that way clearly, and I am chief among them. So God, for the times that we have strayed, I pray that you would bring us back in your gentle way. And if not gentle, be whatever it takes, because it's that important. 
God, I also pray for anything that we're holding on that would hold us back. I pray for the bitterness and the anger to fade. I pray for forgiveness to reign. I pray for guilt to be what is meant to be an indicator, a warning, not a lifestyle. I pray that you break the shackles of shame. That's not who we are. It's not who you made us to be. I pray that we would know the name that you call us by as children of God. And I pray that we wouldn't try to be God ourselves. It never works out well. It doesn't build your kingdom. It doesn't bring you glory. Where glory alone deserves to be. As we just sang earlier, you alone are worthy of praise. And you alone are worthy of the glory. Remind us of our proper place. Remind us of humility so that we might know you more. Experience you more. See your kingdom.